It's intermission time. It's great to get off to the movies. Hello, I am Mia Livacino. I am the West Coast editor of Letterboxd, and I'm also a co-host of The Letterboxd Show. It is an honor to be here, and thank you for having me. You have such a good mic voice. Thank you. I, I've been practicing Letterboxd Show. Hey. You sound very <laughs> professional. Do you feel like this is how you always have spoken, or is it come on because of what you do? It has it has come on after broadcast journalism school. Okay, was you, this you always get, the you have goal? To learn the voice. Yes, actually, it actually was my whole life. I have wanted to to just talk about movies and characters and actors, um, and I I did go to journalism school with this the idea of breaking into entertainment journalism, um, but buried in in the back of my mind because if my parents knew that that was my ultimate goal, that's a little bit shallow. So I was quiet <laughs> about it, and I was like, I'm a good noble. Journalist. And I still am, but <laughs> still noble to me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This is a question that we ask every guest that comes onto the show. If you were to pick one movie right now that describes your life, what would it be? I'm feeling like all the people like You're when in the, the high cost people for yeah. their four favorites. The tables That's what I do on turned. the carpets. I'm like, this is hard. Mm-hmm. When okay, I am going to have to go with my favorite non-Hugh Grant rom com, Down with Love, which is about a feminist journalist trying to make it in the big city, but she's so in love with this hot journalist, Ewan McGregor. And even <laughs> and that's kind of what my life is like. Are you in love? Um, no, I mean, literally, I'm in love with that character, Ewan McGregor. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Down with love. Mm-hmm. Um, I love him. As <laughs> me, an actor. Too. Yeah. me too. Me too. Me yeah. too. Are you in love? May I ask? I am in love. <gasps> Congratulations! <laughs> That's what life is all about. I truly believe this. I know I just said my life is down with love, but it's actually more up with love, I suppose. I, now always, that I think about it. I always do say that I love love. I love love. Me too. I'm a lover. I'm a lover too. Hey, me too. So if your <laughs> life was a genre, you're a rom-com? I'm a twisted rom-com because down with love has bite underneath it all okay is the thing so yeah i i think i'm like a subversive weird little rom-com like down with love yes 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 very cool thank you thank you (laughs) you were saying it feels a little bit weird to be the one being interviewed do you want to give a little rundown of what you typically do for work Yes. Okay. So it very much changes day to day, which is what I like about it. I'm never just doing the same thing every single day. So sometimes I'll be doing red carpet. So I'll have to, you know, prepare to talk to a bunch of very famous people and only have like a minute with each of them. So that's sometimes that's my day. Sometimes it's just editing articles. Sometimes it's writing articles. I've been getting to write about all these old Hollywood movies like Gilda and it happened one night for my job. So part of it is also talking about old movies. So Old movies, new movies, bonding with other people about them, writing about them. That's what I'm up to. (laughs) It's incredible. It's really funny. It's just dawning on me now that I've like seen your face on my phone so many times (laughs) and now I'm seeing the real thing. (laughs) Oh my God. Your letterbox bio says that you're an Al Pacino. You're like Al Pacino if you were half Korean and a girl. Yes. Can you describe to me what you mean by that? That is a very good question. Thank you for asking it. I have been dying to describe what I mean by this. So (laughs) Al Pacino, he is a Sicilian, much like me, and he's a little guy who yells a lot, much like me. So we have that in common, but I'm also half Korean, so there's that part. Mm -hmm. And I'm a girl. Mm -hmm. Um, Minor details. Minor details, minor details. But yes, I discovered Al Pacino... discovered like I'm an agent who just discovered you know one of the greatest actors Never heard of all time him. yeah like who no I <laughs> my Al Pacino journey came kind of later in life so I'm still discovering all of his films but somewhat recently I, I was kind of thinking like you know what 
I've decided I look like him. <laughs> I love this comparison. <laughs> Thank you. And my last name is Vicino. Oh. Mia Vicino. Yeah, yeah, Al yeah. Vicino. It just makes sense. It, it makes, makes sense. Have you uh, been able to meet him yet? No, but he's on my list. I'm coming for him. Al Pacino, I am coming for you. I cannot wait for you two to unite. We're going to joint slay. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Or reunite from a past life. Exact. I've been saying, like, I really love to bond with Sicilian actors. I've been I've been doing this whenever I get a whiff uh -huh. of Sicily on them. I'm like, hey, are you Sicilian? So I did that with Chris Messina, with Steve Buscemi. And you're typically right? Yes. Wow. Yes. And you didn't look it up ahead of time? <gasps> the truth is, I'm a journalist. I'm a good journalist. I went to journalism school. I have looked it up. But I'm very natural, and I can say it in a very, oh, are you? Are you silly? Oh, by the way. Oh. Um, so. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, you'd mentioned this a uh, few minutes ago, but also your letterbox says that you are a feminist body horror scholar. Yes. Can you give me some examples of movies that would fall into this category and what you mean by this as well? Yes. Okay. So I consider myself a feminist body horror scholar because it is just like this very strange little niche subgenre that I'm just obsessed with. I think that is such... I think that having a woman's body is one of the scariest things in the whole world. Um, there are just so, so, so many things that we don't know. It's not studied. Like, you know, cis male scientists just don't study the cis woman body ever. So it's just a very interesting genre. And a lot of women have written about it. Like Barbara Creed has written about the monstrous feminine, um, which, you know, goes into alien. So that would be one example of kind of an unintentionally feminist body horror film yeah. because it's made by Ridley Scott, a man. An example that's actually by a woman would be Ra, Julia Ducourneau. Mm -hmm. I'm actually wearing a Tatan shirt right yes, now. Yes, you are. I just want to share that to the audience. <laughs> so Ra by Julia Ducourneau is kind of like one of the quintessential feminist body horror mm -hmm. films for me. Where you know, have you have you seen that mm -hmm. one? Okay, good. So you kind of know what I'm talking yes. about. It's all a metaphor for her repressed desire, cannibalism as metaphor for desire, for coming of age, for becoming a woman. So that would be an example of feminist body horror. So you're a big Hugh Grant fan. Oh, damn right I am. Can I say damn on this show? Yes, you can. Okay. Damn right I am. Damn right. <laughs> can you rank his movies for me? Like yes, I can. Oh, okay. Yes. yes. Oh, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I love the confidence. Okay. I go have, ahead. I have a whole list. I've done this before have you many made times. A, have you made a list on Letterboxd? I do actually have a Hugh Grant okay. ranked list, but this is what I this is what I think it is. I've settled on it. So my number one is kind of an unconventional pick. I think it'd have to be if you're like a true, true fan. It's I've seen all of them, like truly yeah. all of them. It is music and lyrics, which is in my four faves. Okay. And people people like it, but they're not saying that's his best one. You know, people will say Notting Hill or Bridget yeah. Jones's diary. Yeah. Hey. I love those movies too, but music and lyrics, it is a, it is a modern day screwball rom-com and nobody is talking about it the way that they should be. Did you say screwball? Yes. I love that. Okay. I, I feel it is in the vein of Howard Hawks's screwball film, Uh huh. you know, um, and I don't know, have you, have you seen that uh, one? Um, the music and lyrics? Yes. Yes, I have. Oh, but like you have. Ages ago. Okay. I okay. feel like my dad, funny enough, loves kind of like a Hugh Grant, like just kind of a happy, like those are like the movies we'd watch on the couch as a family. So ages ago. But yes. Yeah. So, well, same here. My mom is the one who got me into watching Hugh Grant movies. Yeah. Like I remember seeing music and lyrics with her. Like yeah. she's the one who gave me this affliction. Yeah. Um, so I definitely that, yeah. need a rewatch though. It is just a joy. It has such great original songs that yeah. are written by Adam Schlesinger, who wrote the music for uh, Josie and the Pussycats. If That's you... great. 
Yeah. Okay, so you said that was your number one, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. said top four. You have a top four for Hugh Grant? Oh, let me do top four. I could do top four easy. Speaking just personally and speaking only about his romantic comedies, not his other genres, I would go music and lyrics, two weeks' notice, Bridget Jones's diary, and I know the correct answer is Notting Hill. Yeah, that's like, what we're waiting for. I know that's the one I'm supposed to say, and— you know what? Yeah, I will give it no, that no, last slot. No, 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 you were going to no, say something else. No, well, I'm thinking, because I'm like, is it, because I was about to say about a boy, but I'm like, I don't consider that necessarily a rom-com, oh. like a tradi- one of his traditional That's rom-coms. a good movie. But I like About a Boy a lot. Yeah. So I kind of want to say About a Boy, but I know I should say Notting Hill. So and then that's worst? Kinda five. Worst is The Rewrite, starring Hugh Rett and Marissa Tomei. I don't think I've seen it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> this led to the death of his rom-com career. I, <laughs> and I just want to note for those yeah. listening and not viewing, she rolled her eyes. I'm really violently rolling my eyes. It <laughs> pissed me off. He plays like a professor of screenwriting okay. at like a college. And it is just, it made me so mad as a woman in film, I guess is what I'll say about it. Um, but, and he, afterwards he was like, I'm not doing a rom-com again. And he hasn't really done that since. Well, then I want to flash forward to our modern day Hugh Grant. Oh, love him. But Wonka. <laughs> what do you think? Have you seen it? Yes. How did it make you it was, feel? I felt insane at Wonka. I felt out of my gourd at Wonka, partially because I did go to the premiere, to mm-hmm. be honest. Nobody talked to us on the red carpet. It was the most humiliating red carpet of my life because Why? everybody just, nobody did any press for Wonka. So I would like. <laughs> Wait, how does this work? Is it, like, planned ahead of time? Like, their PR people are, like, we're not talking to the interviewers? No, it's, like, you just don't know until you get there. Truly, you have no idea until so, you show up. But it's a planned decision. Like, they're, they're, like, we aren't talking to them. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. But I'm on the other side of the barricade, so, so I don't know so what's going on. So you have to show on. up and then just... And just hope. You just kind of hope. That's really frustrating. It is. Welcome to my world. So at, but usually you get to talk to some people, but at Wonka, no, I didn't talk to anybody. But then I took an edible and I went and watched the movie. As you should. And I was laughing, laughing, laughing. Wonka doesn't know how to read. It's a whole subplot that Wonka is illiterate. Like this movie's insane. I can't necessarily recommend it, but I also do recommend it if that makes sense. It's definitely going to be one of those movies I will get to. You know, please do, please yeah. do, because there are like full scale musical numbers. They're hiding that from the people. Yeah, and it's it's very fun. So Hilarious. I do say it's fun. And, and you think Hugh's, Hugh Grant's performance was what? Ah, <sighs> it's begrudging. He is doing this begrudgingly, and you his can interviews tell are wild. They're so wacky. He is broken. He's a broken man, but he got that paycheck. He got that paycheck. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see yourself with this knowledge of film and these connections you're making and just being in the industry, do you ever see yourself wanting to become a filmmaker? Yes. Yes, I do. I do. I want to, well, <laughs> to be to be honest, so like I, I went to film school and I was mostly in it for, for theory and studying films so I could write about them and talk about them and, you know, learn that language. But I did do production and film as well because that was part of the degree. And it's hard. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but filmmaking is extremely hard. It's extremely physical. So I've always kind of been drawn more to 
to screenwriting because one, you don't have to do as much physical labor. And two, I've just always loved reading and writing and making up little stories. So yes, I would like to more do screenwriting rather than actually, you know, directing being on set. But I, I have some, some things in my mind that I think will come out into the world in several years. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. Can you give me just like a small hint of what kinds of things you like to write? Well, as I said, I'm a feminist body horror and Hugh Grant rom-com scholar, so I am working on a feminist body horror screwball rom-com. Wow. I'm, I'm like, F it. Let's put those genres together. Nobody else is doing it. I want to see a feminist body horror screwball rom-com. The closest thing I can think of is Jennifer's body. Yeah, we ta we, we've we talked about Jennifer's body a ton on this podcast. Very good. That is also, that is an, one of my favorite, most formative films as well. Very cool. <laughs> What is your dream blunt rotation of filmmakers? Okay, well, I would bring back John Cassavetes from The Dead. Mm -hmm. He is my ghost husband. I love him very much. Do you know his films mm -hmm. at all? Okay. Yeah, I have a few questions about him because I... Yeah. Yes! Yes! Okay. Well, he's one of them. I, I, need to, I need to do that. I just... <laughs> so I'd bring his ghost back. Let's get Cary Grant in the mix. Okay. Cary Grant, another screwball icon. I'm bringing back She'd a lot funny. of dead people. He'd be funny. Yeah. He'd bring some levity. He would do some pratfalls. He'd make us laugh. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So John Cassavetes, Cary Grant, and then let's bring somebody in who's alive um, and also a girl because smoking weed with girls is just better. It's just better. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's safer. <laughs> um, so I'm going to pick Greta Lee, the mm -hmm. actress from Past Lives. She'd be cool. She just has such a great sense of humor, and I feel like she'd also be very chill. Have you been able to talk to her? Only virtually. Okay. I interviewed her. I had like five minutes with her over Zoom, yeah. but I haven't met her in person. But I feel like... She had good energy? I, she had very good energy, and I just, I want her to be employed all the time, and I think that smoking weed with me and John Cassavetes and Cary Grant would get her jobs. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, let's let's lock that in. I think that's a funny group of people. That's perfect. I love this. Thank you. Can you think of a movie that you thought, going into it, it would be amazing, or at least good, and you were let down? Mank. And why? Because I love David Fincher. Uh-huh. And every film before that, had been a hit to me. Even oh. I even appreciated Alien 3. And this one, I have nothing nice to say. You said that so quickly. Do you think about I, this often? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I actually do think about my mink grudge. <sighs> mink. <laughs> it makes me like a dog. I'm I get gonna, mad. You're so funny. I'm going to watch it and then get back to you. Okay, I'm, please do. Because some people do really love, like I have mink head friends. Interesting. Like, that would be nice if you enjoyed it, and I hope you but do. But then if I don't, we can talk shit after. Yeah. Oh, I'll be around to talk shit about Mank. I can always do that. Is John Cassavetes the best director-actor combo? He's certainly the most handsome. <laughs> <laughs> but, and also I would say, I mean, I'm so biased because, again, we're betrothed, you know. Like, he is my husband. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So, of course, I am going to say yes. You have but to be loyal. I, yeah, I have to be loyal, but... Object. It's hard to say objectively, but I do think he is one of the top, at least top three greatest director-actor combos. What He's others? better than Ben Affleck. Sorry. <laughs> what other ones come to mind? Well, the first one I, I mean, the first modern one I thought of was Greta Gerwig, but I was like, wait, she doesn't direct herself. Oh, yeah. She doesn't yeah. direct herself. Yeah. Whereas 
And John is better than Bradley Cooper. I'm I sorry. know. I was, Bradley, to, I was yeah. like, oh, no, we're going into maestro territory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Cassavetes is my maestro. Just nobody can even hold a candle to John Cassavetes. I'm struggling to even think of other ones. Mm-hmm. We, let's let's end it with that. It's let's a, just end it with that. That's a high note. Yeah, that is. <laughs> Episode over. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've been having our guests pick one movie that we focused on for a little bit, and you picked Stoker, which I was interested about because so we recently played it at Vidiots. we had a screening for it so that was my first time watching it can you share why you chose stoker yes okay so this was a very very formative film for me it came out in 2013 i had just turned 18 so i was the exact same age as the character uh-huh. india stoker the protagonist of stoker and she was played by mia vasakovska who we both have the name mia like i was really identifying and i was <laughs> I was scrolling on Tumblr.com, and I back way back in the day. I am not on there anymore. That movie is a very Tumblr movie, right? Yeah. Yes, the aesthetics, like just the, the spider, the yeah, exactly. So I was seeing all these gift sets of this movie called Stoker, and it was piquing my interest. And so I went to like one two three movies.com yeah, to or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah, and I started watching it, and it was in low quality. And I got like two minutes in and thought. This movie is going to be great. I know I'm going to love it. I need to watch it in the highest quality possible. This is not like a little laptop movie. So I ordered it on DVD Netflix. Wow. Again, different era. Different era. I ordered it. I waited the two to three days. It showed up. And I, my life's trajectory was changed for real. Because I, I was a little bit sheltered, not for religious reasons. I don't even know why. I just like, I didn't start watching R-rated movies until I was the age you're supposed to be watching them for the most part so that's funny yeah I mean I would watch them like on sleepovers I would go to friends houses and watch things so but at my own house yeah I don't know it was it was strange so I it was by the book I was like a little repressed so this and this movie I mean you've seen it now it is very explicit it is sexual Mm -hmm. it is like it has some crazy psychosexual themes Mm -hmm. so it opened my world to kind of just adult cinema in general like you can talk about this stuff? That's crazy. So it opened my eyes to that. And then also world cinema, because it's directed by Park Chan-wook. Yeah. This Korean director. This was his English language debut. Had I, you seen his other... Well, so you probably hadn't seen his other no. movies. Yeah. No, at this point, like, I was not a cinephile. I had, I had always enjoyed movies, but, you know, just growing up as a woman, you don't really see yourself in that community or that space as much, or at least I didn't. Yeah. It never really felt like something, like a real thing to pursue. Yeah. Um, just something that I liked. So... Um, it took me a while to to start the cinephile journey, but this helped kickstart it because it led me to Park Chan-wook eventually um, once I got to college and started really pursuing cinema. And I was like, I would hear his name and be like, oh, he directed that movie I loved, Stoker. I should see what else he's done. It's so funny. I feel like you're one of the few that started with Stoker, you know? Yes. Yes. Just because that was what was coming out at the time that yeah. I, you know, a formative time. Like, yeah. I feel like <laughs> it's a little bit chance as to what movies will be formative for you, just depending on yeah. what comes out when you're at a certain totally. age. So that's that's part of what Stoker is for me. It just happened to come out at a time where I was molding myself. Yeah. I, I, I'll i be honest. When I left the theater, I had already seen, like, Old Boy, Decision to Leave. Or not Old Boy. Sorry, The Handmaiden. I'm obsessed oh, yeah. with mm-hmm. Decision to Leave. And I wasn't obsessed with Stoker. I kind of left being, like... Uh, I don't even I couldn't really even put into words why it didn't resonate with me as much. And so I was really curious of why you picked it. Like what really was the uh, the draw for you? 
I guess the draw was, um, yes, partially because, you as I said, it came out at that time. And I just really, her alienation and just how weird she was yeah. really resonated with me. I just really like when a girl is weird. Yeah. Um, for almost no matter what, that will make me like yeah. the movie. Um, but I also just think it's so interesting because it's so firmly from her weird little perspective. Yeah. Like you are fully in India Stoker's strange mindset. Um, even the sound design draws yeah. you into her world where she's like, I hear things that others cannot hear or whatever and then um you know like the sound of the egg cracking is amplified and everything so I really liked that the perspective of it and Uh then I also appreciated the the cinematography it's just so gorgeously shot something I really did appreciate was the title card I think and all like the intro text the way that it's I'm a graphic designer and just the way that all the like typography choices are done in the movie and the transitions I thought were pretty cool with the hair the transition where when she's brushing her mom Nicole Kidman's hair and it changes from like this beautiful red flowing flowing hair into a uh, field yeah also that's reminding me that I the mom's room was really cool it was like very like there are all those plants yeah and it's like red yeah yeah it's such an interesting house and a beautiful house it's a very cool setting yes I love yeah the setting is so almost bizarre because it's this house kind of in the middle of nowhere so secluded yeah. and you're like what time period is this and that then is she a goes, good question yeah, yeah I, I felt confused by that it's yeah I, I watched it with some friends and they were like when does this take place and I'm like just hold on just hold on because then she goes to high school yeah. and it's a totally normal, normal. high school yeah. and it's like oh what like she's, she's just living in a different world and even like the shoes like her shoe choice yes her, like style what she's wearing it, it could be like a completely different time period. The yes. little like I don't think they're penny loafers or whatever those are. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes, the shoes. Yeah, she's like just in a totally dislocated both time and space, which I think adds to her alienation and isolation. Totally. Yeah, those things resonated. And then also I just liked that we were exploring her sexuality. Uh-huh. And I didn't feel I, I understand arguments that are like, this is gross, because it is gross. It yeah. just is. But I also just haven't seen anything like it totally I suppose and because again because it's from her perspective I think that's what that's how you know you're able to get away with a story like this I don't know how I don't want to get into spoilers because it is like a mystery yeah and I don't want to just ruin it for people but it's hard to I guess it's kind of hard to talk about (laughs) yeah that's fair yeah that's a that's a good pick I feel like I have a better understanding of you from choosing that and, and that being from a time frame in your life that you resonated with it. It's always cool to hear what our guests, what movies they choose to bring in and why they chose it. It's always so fascinating. I get like a little glimpse into their life. It just came came to me at a time where I really needed it. It's like a coming of age yeah. movie. Like it's it's like my ladybird. <laughs> it's kind of my ladybird if it's like ladybird for goth people raised without religion it's like (laughs) it also feels now looking back it does feel like the type of book I would have read like in high school yes oh yeah and it's also I don't know if you know this but it was loosely adapted from a Hitchcock film oh I actually didn't know that yeah yeah there's a film called Shadow of a Doubt Uh from the 1940s okay that it's you know it's about like an Uncle Charlie and it's about this bored teenage girl yeah shows up and 
rocks her world. Um, <laughs> but Yikes. yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. Interesting. I, I didn't know that. I'll have to watch the Hitchcock and then do a little comparison. Yeah, Park Chan Wook just is obsessed with Hitchcock. Like decision to leave. Yeah, that is makes sense. Very Hitchcocky, and, and yeah. Hitchcock is admittedly not one of my favorites at all. Huh? Yeah. Ooh, hot Why? take. <laughs> I love hot I think takes. I think he's obviously extremely talented and one of the greatest filmmakers and everything, of course, of course. But I'm of the camp that thinks Vertigo is overrated. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's three other people out there in the world who agree with me, and we are a strong bunch. Yeah, you guys text every day. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. We, we, we all still chat. We all still hate it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we took a blood oath. We hate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just think that the modern adaptations of his work are just more interesting to me. Like this, like this one, Stoker. I don't know. Sorry, Hitchcock. I'm sure you'll be okay. I'm <laughs> sure you'll be fine, and your place in cinema is fine. Um. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna list a few different actors and directors, and I want you to tell me what their best work was to <gasps> you. Okay. 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 Ooh, fun. So we'll start with Park Chan Wook. Ooh, his. Best. I know everybody is going to say old boy, but I'm not an old boy girl at all. I don't really care for You're it. You're a young girl, not I'm an old boy. I'm a young girl, not an old boy. I'll admit it. So I would say, yes, The Handmaiden, and then also Lady Vengeance. So, yes, that is my answer. I guess it's like several movies is what I picked, but Handmaiden, I'm going to lock that one down. I That's his best one. I absolutely love Handmaiden. Yeah. Celine Chioma. For Celine, I mean, you gotta go with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's in my top it's, five. And you're right to do that. You are so right to do that. I think it's a perfect film. I think it's one of the most perfect fi modern films that have come out of contemporary filmmaking. I think it's a masterpiece. Okay, Martin Scorsese. Oh, the bestie. Love you, Marty. I really, really love Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. I don't know. Have you seen that one? Mm -mm. It was one of his earlier ones. Okay. It's. it's it's very in, in the vein of Cassavetes, who was one of Scorsese's mentors. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just about a woman, a single mother and her son. And she is a waitress. And she's just kind of trying to live her life and fall in love and have her job and raise her son. And it's really hard. And that is all the movie is about. And I love it dearly. And it's very different from the rest of his work. So I, I do think that's one of his best. I really do. I guess I know the question was like the best, but I, I again, I want to say Alice. I'm going to answer with Alice. The one that I've seen the most though is Wolf of Wall Street. How funny. Sorry. I've seen Wolf of Wall Street 10 billion times. It does not feel like three hours to me. That's uh, not what I expected. I know. It's so not my type of movie yeah. at all. Uh -huh. Like it, it really, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but I can just watch it over and over and over again. It's my favorite Leo role of all time. Funny. Okay. My next is Laura Dern. Oh, she's actually in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, I want to say, as a little child. She has a little cameo. She eats ice cream. That's cool. Little, yes, yes. Laura what, Dern. Was that her first? I mean, Laura Dern's father was Bruce Dern, mm -hmm. legendary actor. So she got into the biz a little younger yeah. <laughs> than, than most are able to. But yeah, she's an extra. You can see her licking an ice cream cone and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. But my favorite Laura Dern performance is in Wild with Reese Witherspoon. Have you seen that Oh, yeah. One? Wait, really? That's your favorite? That's so interesting. Yeah, I know. Was I supposed to say Jurassic Park? No, I, I, there is no <laughs> wrong answer. I'm just surprised by your taste. It's, very, it's like a, I can't pinpoint it yet. I'm I'm all over the place a little bit. Do you, I I just 
the movie Wild affected me in a way that I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, I mean, Laura Dern and Big Little Lies is also great, yeah. of course. Okay, but Wild story. is the but answer. Wild is my answer. Wild is my answer. She really makes me sob in that in that movie. She plays uh, Reese Witherspoon's character's mother mm -hmm. in flashbacks. And it hurts very badly in a good way. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm bringing up John Cassavetes again. Good. Best film and role. I'm an opening night 1977 girl for life. I think that that is his best film. I have a, I have a tattoo of the main character <laughs> um, on my arm. Jenna Rollins, she's an alcoholic actress who is struggling because she's at that age where you're transitioning from, you know, playing womanly, sexy roles to, you know, becoming more matronly because in Hollywood, those are the two roles you can play yeah. as a woman is like sexy or matronly. Um, and she's really, really struggling with that. And that's what the movie is about. And that I just think that's such an interesting concept. And the fact that John Cassavetes wrote it for his wife to act in. Yeah. And he directed them both because he's also co-stars in it. I just think it's incredible. Would you say that is for for both film and role? Yes, I would actually. He co-stars. Yeah. Um, it's it's all kind of meta because <laughs> he co-stars as Jenna Rollins's co-star. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But then he's directing it also because it's about a play. Yeah, it's so very. It's cool. so wild. I recommend it so 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 highly. Truly, it's one of the great female performances. Yeah, I mean, you got a tattoo for it. So. I did. I did. <laughs> The Jenna Rollins role besides opening night is a woman under the influence. That is a performance that I just see so many actresses cite also as like one of the performances that got them into acting. Yeah. I feel I think like Kate Blanchett has cited it. A lot of them have. Um it's it's just a tour de force. She's again I, I like it's it's similar to Alice Doesn't Live Here anymore in the sense that, you know, it's just it's just a small story about a woman who's having a really hard time mm -hmm. and it's told with such care by a male director yeah um and i think that that's a rarity and should be celebrated emma stone you are you are nailing this you are picking just all of my favorites i love emma i have stone to give credit so to much. the team the oh podcast you guys team. know me oh my god i adore emma stone i've had a huge crush on her forever i'm i'm tempted to say poor things because that's the one that she's you know getting all these nominations and awards for but i actually think that her work in The Favorite. I love The Favorite. Me too. I love, love, love The Favorite. I've seen it so many times. I find something new with every watch. Mm -hmm. She's doing accent work. She's just making these micro expressions with her big, beautiful eyes that tell such a big story. Mm -hmm. And I think that she just nails that final, that, oh God, that final scene as well. I love The Favorite ending. It is just so... It's both ambiguous, but also clear at the same time, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been really, really interested in her, in the work that she's doing more recently. I think that she's doing some of her strongest work right now, even with The Curse. Yeah, I was oh going to say, God. Look at she's so good in The Curse. Yeah, I mean, she can do comedy She and made herself, drama. like, unlikable in The Curse, which is, like, so odd because she's so likable. Yes, yes. She, oh God, she is so talented. I could go on and on and on about her. I just admire her so much. Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, PTA, Phantom Thread. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've seen Phantom Thread seven times, wow. I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it, I mean, the score for one, mm -hmm. that's like my favorite music to write to. But also I, I think it is the last great rom-com. 
Wait, that's fun that you listen to a score while you write. That's smart. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's the Phantom Thread score and the Social Network scores are the best writing music huh. ever. They really put you in the zone. But um, yeah, scores. That's a that is a pro writing tip. Is write to movie scores. But yeah, as 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 I was as I said, I think it's the Phantom Thread is the last great romantic yeah. comedy. I feel like people don't necessarily view it as a romantic yeah. comedy all the time, but that's what it is to me. <laughs> huh. Okay. Toshiro Mifune. I have to go with my favorite Kurosawa, which is Rashomon. Uh-huh. And why is it your favorite? Um, because I'm really, really fascinated by uh narrative and structure. And I, I really admire the way that that one, you know, you're you're go, you're getting to see all these different perspectives on on the same thing, uh-huh. and that is always something that I'm interested in. Yeah, and and that's just the one of his that stuck the most. I've seen Ran, I've seen Dreams, and I'm gonna see Seven Samurai the next time it screens in theaters. Also, when you're saying a retelling of the same story from different perspectives, a movie that always comes to mind that I think did a really good job, and I never hear. People talk about it. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast. Did you ever watch The Last Duel? The like oh with Matt Damon, Matt Damon and ben yeah, Affleck. Scott. Yeah, I'm kicking myself because it's been on my watch list you forever. I've heard such great things. I'm just about shocked it. that movie didn't get like maybe I don't know. It's like the bubble I'm in, but I didn't get like a ton of attention in my yeah. world. But I really liked how that story was told because it's three acts and it's three perspectives of the same instance. It's like Adam Drivers. Yeah, Adam Drivers, Matt, Matt Damon's, Damon's Ben Affleck. Channing Tatum. <laughs> Channing. Comedy icon. I just want to say He's he is funny. one of the funniest actors for real. My first thought, I went to both Magic Mike XXL, of course, and 22 Jump Street. That movie, I laughed my ass off in theaters. I was laughing so much. I was, And I went into it. I went to the theater, admittedly, to see How to Train Your Dragon 2. <laughs> um, but I got the time wrong. <laughs> and the movie that was playing was 22 Jump Street. My friend and I were like, whatever, let's just go see it. And Had we you already the- seen 21? No. Like, I hadn't seen 21 Jump Street. We were just like, whatever. And then it was, like, one of my favorite movies Isn't of Brie- the year. Isn't Brie Larson's in 22 yes, Jump Street, she is. too? Or, yeah. She's in the first one. She's in 21 oh, Jump Street. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm confusing the two. They're just yeah. so funny. So funny. Yeah. So I... I, it's hard to pick between Magic Mike and 22 Jump Street. But I am going to do 22 Jump Street because Magic Mike's last dance pissed me off so much. I, I never saw it. Again, like with Frank, you don't really have to, which is sad. It makes me sad to say that to you. Mm-hmm. But it is what I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you're con- uh, strong in your convictions. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Jackie Brown. I like that one so much. Because Jackie Brown. Oh, yes. That's I'm a great getting movie. heated up. Jackie Brown is fantastic i was just at a bar that was playing jackie brown but yeah they were playing jackie brown on the on the screen i thought it was cool that is cool that is cool because it's again underrated and he's so phenomenal Mm -hmm. sofia coppola oh my girl oh my girl sofia another very formative filmmaker for me as a girl discovering she likes movies Mm -hmm. um so because of that i have to go with the virgin suicide i knew you were gonna say that come on it's the virgin (laughs) suicides that was just that was again like that was the first sofia coppola movie that i saw and really resonated with me because i watched lost in translation and i didn't like it i'm sorry interesting i rubbed me the wrong way i almost really did do you have like a list on letterbox of your hot takes i actually do have I have a private list called Damn, I didn't get it, I guess. That's funny. <laughs> um, which is, yeah, for movies like 
for example, lost in translation or vertigo. Um, That's funny. Where I, it's like I know I'm wrong, but I, uh, and I am making peace with that. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's not for me, and I didn't get it. I have and a couple. Okay. I have a couple of those. Olivia knows one of them because we saw it together, and they're going with me to my grave. Do you have a private letterbox list? No, those are that's just a good my... outlet. That's a good outlet to just kind of get I it want out. No paper trail. <laughs> Uh, Sandra Bullock. Two weeks notice. Two that weeks notice. Two weeks quick. notice. That's, That's a, a great Grant. movie. <laughs> oh yeah, it is Hugh Grant. Yeah, I've seen Two Weeks Notice ten billion times. Also, it's, it's actually did I not list that in my four Hughes? You did no, I don't think you did. did That's you? a tremendous oversight. That is horrific. Stop recording. Stop now. the presses <laughs> right now. No, I love. Two weeks notice. Yeah. yeah. I think I watched it actually recently for the first time. You did? Yeah. It's sweet. Yeah. I just think it's nice and cute and it's a good New York movie that's yeah. actually filmed in New York. And there's actually the New York mayor declared two weeks notice day. That's cute. They actually did because it revitalized the New York economy after 9-11. That's cute. That is a true fact. Wow. <laughs> I also like yeah. the idea of, I bet there's like a million of these, but like a letterbox list of movies set in New York that are actually filmed in New York and then movies set in New York that were filmed in like Canada. Canada. <laughs> they really, and they were going to do that with two weeks notice. They were going to film it in Canada and Sandra Bullock said, no, the city needs this. Like New York needs a New York movie. You're filming it here. Yeah. And then they did. Good and they were her. rewarded with a whole day. I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. The last one on my <laughs> list is Jim Carrey. That's a funny one. Oh my God, that is a really silly one. Because I do have to admit, I'm not much of a Jim Carrey scholar. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen, because my, my family is, um, I come from an anti-whimsy family. Um, <laughs> that my, is so out of character because I would say your energy is very whimsical. I'm extremely whimsical. Like, I don't know how it happened, but my parents are just, like, they're, they're allergic. Family. Like they like my mom does not like Wes Anderson. She does not like Paddington. She's what, the only person I know who doesn't like it. Pad Paddington also comes up a ton on this podcast. That makes sense. That it's great. And like anyway, what does she like? She just likes network television. Oh, a serious watches. broad. Well, network television doesn't. I what mean, do you like, mean by even that? Like anything on network, like even reality shows. Like oh. I mean, like America's Got Talent. Oh, I like, see. Even things like I that. See, I see. I see. Well, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking like prestige or drama. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> she does. Yeah. Watch those as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Yes. Yeah. So that is that. That is why I didn't really. We didn't really watch. Yeah. A ton. So that's why I have a strange, strange answer. What is it? Fun with Dick and Jane. I love that Jim movie. Okay, somebody else knows about this movie yeah. and enjoys it. Yeah, I really like that movie. We exist. We exist. We exist. Him yeah. and Taya Leone. Yeah. Wait, I haven't seen that in a real... That is also one of the... Speaking of network television, that is a movie I think I saw for the first time like on, on TV. I feel like it was on... It's on TBS right now. Yeah. If we put on TBS, yeah. it playing. It's such... It's like very much a TV movie, and I don't even mean that in like a derogatory yeah. way. It's like just good to throw on. You I'd can just drop in. I'd rewatch too. I also haven't seen it since like it came out and we watched it a bunch as a family. Yeah. This is my letterbox segment. Do you Ooh. think a lot, you can tell a lot about a person based off their letterbox? Yes. Specifically their top four. Yes. Okay. I'm going to tell you my top four and <gasps> tell me if you think it's accurate or not. And also like 
Is this really my top four? Or this is just what's there. Oh, mine changes all the time. I have another list that's like called former four faves, mm-hmm. and when I rotate my four faves out, I'll put them in there. Yeah. So they're always remembered. It's kind of like a oh, graveyard. Well, it's really like a nice. graveyard, but they're still alive. I don't know. That's beautiful. I'm gonna copy yeah. that. Okay, right <laughs> now I have which it's been it's been this honestly. It's this is like a small variation of what I did my top five for Instagram, but Thelma and Louise. <gasps> Donnie Darko, (laughs) Cinema Paradiso, and Fargo. I'm doing applause. But what does that say about me? (laughs) Let's see. I'm like like at therapy. (laughs) Cinema Paradiso, Fargo, and Donnie Darko. Oh, okay. So first off, I love all those movies. I think I've given them all four stars and above. Thelma and Louise was in my four faves. For years, by the way, that was like the movie I studied the most in college. I just want to say I've written so many essays on it. So, yes. So first off, that tells me you have amazing taste, of course. That is my first diagnosis. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more, Doc. Yes, yes. Um, And then let's see, let's see. I just, I actually just saw Cinema Paradiso for the first time at the New Beverly a couple years ago. It's incredible. Just, I love movies about movies. Me too. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. I feel like you have... Do you like Thelma and Louise more? I feel like these characters, they're all very, very complicated and all have a lot of different sides to them. Like mm-hmm. the Thelma and Louise girls absolutely do. Mm-hmm. As does Donnie Darko, as do the characters of Fargo. Like they're all very, I think that you're very character driven. You like to have unique oh, characters yeah. in your films. Yeah. They're all so distinct, right? Like this Marge from Fargo is totally, <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> She's totally distinct, and she's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And so is Donnie, of course. Mm-hmm. And Thelma and Louise, and I don't, I don't remember the characters of, uh, or I don't remember the character names of Cinema Parody, so I have to admit. Yeah, I don't either. But they're also, they're also very, very, very unique. And it's, oh, that's such a sweet movie. It's like autobiographical kind of too, right? I also feel like the way I kind of chose these two is to be like, okay, Fargo that like humor is my humor. Like I just yeah. think it's undoubtedly funny and it's just the humor I'm drawn to. Donnie Darko, I just love things that are dark and weird and I like the soundtrack and it makes me think of like moody Megan who thinks she's really different in high school. And then like Cinema Paradiso is like a nod to my love of movies and just like being indulgent with movies. And then Thumb and Louise is like, I am a woman first yes. and foremost. <laughs> yes. You know, exactly. that's how I feel. I yes, I also like to have each movie represent kind of a different aspect of my personality How do you, identity. Right now, what do you have as your top four? So right now I have opening night, um, which that's kind of my cinema paradiso in yeah. the sense that it represents like my love of the art form because opening night's about like a play mm-hmm. and it's you know kind of meta about art and and everything. And then next is Mikey and Nikki, which is like my Thelma and Louise. Yeah. <laughs> So I have two John Cassavetes in there, admittedly, but that one is um, in there because it's directed by a woman, Elaine May. And yeah, it kind of showcases like, again, like the, that character driven side that I like where it can just be two characters and I'm happy. And then I have Existence by David Cronenberg mm-hmm. starring Jude Law, Jennifer Jason Lee. That's in there because it's like this really silly body horror slash video game movie. And I'm a gamer girl. Who loves body horror and Cronenberg and Jude Law? Yeah, this seems like a, um, a perfect yes, blend for you. Truly, and like Jennifer Jason Lee plays like a game developer, a woman game developer, and it's just always cool. cool to see a woman in the in the game space in movies. It's just very very rare 
to just see it in general. So. Yeah. And then my last one is music and lyrics. Cute. Um, which represents my love of the romantic comedy and Hugh Grant. Beautiful. So those are, I think that does a pretty good job of presenting me. Yeah, I, I would yeah. say so. Definitely. Yeah. How do movies get put on Letterboxd? Like, for example, we have a friend who has made a few movies and, like, he's never uploaded them, but they're there. Like, how does it work? Yeah, so we pull our data from the moviedatabase.org tmdb and it's i guess i suppose it's kind of like imdb but it's it's very collaborative and user driven so you can actually upload films to tmdb and then letterboxd automatically pulls that data to letterboxd but anyone can upload it like yeah Wikipedia? i've uploaded like my friend's short films oh, to cool. tmdb yeah 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 and then you like input the cast and crew and the year who's and- fact checking um, they have mods. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mods will will check, and then like you know, things will, can also get removed if it's yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of things get removed. I'm gonna make like a fake movie about myself on there. See, well, it's gonna get removed. <laughs> we have a whole channel for that. They're gonna catch it. I'm gonna it. test the system. <laughs> so yeah, anybody, anybody can do it. Like you could, you could do that. So there. This is a question I've asked on the podcast before, but do you think Letterbox should have DMs? No, I do not. I firmly believe we, and we will never have DMs. Why? Because we value uh, the women on the site. Mm. Like that is truly, it's because harassment. That's cool. Would get obscene. Harassment's not cool. I just want to clarify. Yeah. It's cool that you value the women. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Clarification. (laughs) You guys, I think, recently announced that you're now adding TV shows to Letterboxd, right? But I've been able to log TV shows. Is it just a limited series? Yes. So as of right now, you can log limited series on Letterboxd, which is why you can log The Curse. Yeah. um, Things like that. And then, yes, series is like coming later... Later down the line, I'm not sure exactly when, but I do know it'll be something that you can toggle on and off. So if you don't want to see TV, you do not have to oh, see any cool. TV. Because I did see, I mean, I couldn't care less, but I did see people on Twitter. People are mad. Com- yeah, people were complaining and I thought it was, but that's smart that you'd be able to turn it off for like yeah. the, the truth. The truth, yes, exactly. Like if you don't want to see TV, you will not have to see TV. So That's so funny. What a feature just for like people that are so sensitive. I know, I know. <laughs> But hey, we listened to them. Yeah, no, that's right. We did very, listen to them. That's very polite. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're very polite because we're it's a New Zealand-based company. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody is very is kind. quite polite. Kind and if you're kind and polite, the world will be right. That's... As the wise Paddington Bear once said, <laughs> our great philosopher. I'm dead. <laughs> what percentage of movies? that you log on Letterboxd are for work and what percentage are for fun? And I'm sure there's an overlap. Yes. So one of the best parts about the job is that there is that overlap between, yeah, work and pleasure with watching movies. Like, and you have to start kind of drawing lines. Like, for example, now I can't watch movies alone at home because it feels like work. So I can only watch movies like with my friends or at a movie theater. Yeah. That's <laughs> and funny. I go to the movies alone a lot. Yeah. Um, but are you writing as you watch a movie, like your thoughts? That's the thing is it's like it's hard to do both and I wanna give all of my attention to the movie, but I'll have a little notebook. Like usually I try to see movies now like at press screenings instead of on screeners. Yeah. So that I can give my full, full attention to the movie and just scribble little notes. But I, I do think it's pretty balanced because when I watch movies for fun, it's a lot of times I'm just stoned with my friends watching 
garbage and that's very clearly for fun. Yeah. But then it's like, you know, for example, I'll go to the theater to see an older film. Like I just went to the new Bev to see Gold Diggers of 1933 and um, 42nd Street. Mm -hmm. And that's both for work and fun because that informs like my film history knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I just like watching musicals on the big screen. Yeah. So it's it's kind of hard to say an exact percentage because it's kind of a nebulous yeah. Do you, have you ever sat and watched a movie for work and like felt like you were begrudgingly watching something that you were made to watch? Ant-Man Quantumania. <laughs> that was quick. Yeah. When I had to see Ant-Man Quantumania in theaters, I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. That's funny. <laughs> I never saw it. And again, that's so fine. Yeah. <laughs> I could say that about a lot of those types of movies. though. Yeah. Yeah. They're not for me. And that's fine. Damn, but I don't get it, is how I feel about <laughs> them. <laughs> Have you ever looked up someone's letterbox before meeting them? Like, before hanging out with someone or before going on a date with someone, for example? I feel like I meet people through letterbox is the thing. Like, Because so of many... work or? No, I mean, just all of my friends I've made through Letterboxd over the years. How? From being mutuals, just like from following them and liking their film opinions. Like when I was living in Portland, because I'm from Portland, I, I grew up there. And I was, you know, following these people on Letterboxd who live in LA because they're in the industry. And we just became friends because we had similar tastes. And so that's that's like why it's kind of tricky because that's actually how I meet my friends. Is was it funny meeting people for the first time outside of Letterboxd? It is funny because at first you're like a little bit nervous, you know, just before you meet anybody from yeah. the internet. That's inherently like yeah. eek. It's such eek a inducing. unique <laughs> scenario that it's so new to like kind of our generation, just like anyone with like post.com boom, like of the idea of meeting people online and then having that like, how do you behave in person and does it mirror how you behave online? Oh, yeah, that was something that I have thought about. A lot. Like, the there's the different masks, I yeah. guess, that we wear, like, our online self versus totally. our in-person self. But luckily, like, every time I meet up with somebody who I've just known through Letterboxd or whatever, it has been so much fun. Because Aww. we already, already kind of know each other's tastes, you know? Yeah. So it's just we already have that base knowledge for, yeah. our, for our conversations. And, like, we already know, like, hey, we both love movies. Yeah. Um, that's, like, pretty much good enough for me to have a good time with anybody is just knowing, like, you also believe in film let's be friends yay that's very cool yeah <laughs> i love that who is the most memorable person that you've interviewed for letterboxd the right answer is martin scorsese but my heart's answer is hugh grant yeah did you like <laughs> blow him a kiss i wore my music and lyrics hat mm -hmm. and he complimented it and he said that he was quite fond of that movie and anyone who likes it I like. <laughs> that was um, a good accent. Thank you. Thank you. And he and he touched my arm twice. Um, so and you that, haven't watched it no, since? No, not since the Dungeon and Dragons premiere <laughs> last March. So that was just like, you know, he's <laughs> music and lyrics again, like one of my first favorite films of all time. So that was just very, very fulfilling to me. I was like high for days just off of that Hugh Grant interaction. So. That is the answer, even though I know it's supposed to be Martin Scorsese. And it also, that was also like, I still can't believe I got that. That's very Marty, cool. Very that cool. I'm going to cherish those 11 minutes for my whole life. It was so special. And it's just, just a once in a lifetime opportunity. He is one of the greatest living directors. Wow. <laughs> okay. 
A woman under the influence or opening night? Opening night. Stoker or old boy? Stoker. I know those two. Cassavetes <laughs> or Scorsese? Because Cassavetes mentored Scorsese, many other reasons. Cassavetes. Titan or Raw? <sighs> raw. Greta Gerwig or Julia Ducourneau? Julia Ducourneau. Was and that I, hard to answer? It was because I love Greta Gerwig very, very much. <laughs> Memories of murder or Zodiac? <gasps> oh, those are also so linked in my mind, but Zodiac. That's a hard one. Oh, sorry, Bong Joon-ho. Love you. Paddington or Paddington 2? Paddington 2. It's got Hugh Grant. <laughs> Fast and Furious or Marvel films? <laughs> I actually haven't really seen, I haven't seen a single Fast and the Furious. And I'm, I'm only saying that because I love the first one and only the first one. <laughs> I love the first one. I feel like I would have fun. The first one is so maybe. different than the new stuff. I'm going to go with, even though, again, I haven't seen any of them, Fast and the Furious, because <laughs> at least it isn't like actively destroying the art of cinema. <laughs> and there's a character named Mia in Fast and Furious. We resonate with all Mias. Yes, and we, we love Mias. The Mia army is strong. So <laughs> Isabel Adjani or <gasps> Gina Rollins? Oh. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I have to say Gina Rollins because she's tattooed on my arm. But God, I love possession so much. Eraserhead or Finding Nemo? That's, okay, that is one of the most awesome questions I've ever been asked in my life. And weirdly, this is so out of character and messed up for me to say. Finding Nemo. Wow. And I love the Eraserhead Baby. If the question was Eraserhead Baby or Finding Nemo, I would pick Eraserhead Baby. <laughs> <laughs> but as it is, I just Finding Nemo is my favorite Pixar movie. That's a great, um, great, like it's, great it's, movie. Yeah, it's that's another formative one, which mm -hmm. is so I'm loyal to it. Yeah. And I had a crush on Marlin the fish. <laughs> <laughs> the dad. The yeah, dad Marlin. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. making it just yeah. making clear. Yeah, Albert no. Brooks has a hot voice. I love that. In the mood for love or Chunking Express? I'm going to be unconventional again. Chunking Express, because you got a weird girl with a pixie cut, and I resonate. <laughs> As you should. That's great. That's a great answer. Both incredible. Again, we love you, Wong Kar Wai. There are no losers here. <laughs> what are some of your favorite underground films and filmmakers? I really, really, really love women underground filmmakers. I think it's so cool. It's like an untraditional avenue for you know, this group that has historically just kind of been excluded from the movement to, mm -hmm. to, to go down. So I really love Smithereens, mm -hmm. directed by Susan Seidelman, who directed um, Desperately Seeking Susan. So this film was from 1982, and it's just about this mess of a woman in uh, New York. And she is not talented, but she wants to sing in a punk band. And she is just so unlikable and just effing her way up through this city and it's so 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 interesting i love movies like that that are really scuzzy yeah that are like about people who are like subway rats incarnate mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah i have to i love smithereens and then just there's also born in flames by lizzie borden so that's another one that i really like and encourage and then a film called i shot andy warhol by mary heron who directed american psycho uh-huh so she directed this one before, and it's about Valerie Solanas uh -huh. that, like, just bonkers, very, very ultra-radical feminist who, well, shot Andy Warhol. And it's it's just a very, very interesting character study. I love, I love them. When you're making an underground film, you don't have to, you know, adhere to these 
expectations that would be put on you in more of a studio film where it's like, well, you have to make the character likable yeah. and beautiful mm-hmm. and, you know, all these unrealistic, inauthentic attributes. Yeah, my favorite, I, I, I love the underground filmmakers who really push against that and are like, F it, we're just going to put this <laughs> this human garbage on screen, but also give them, you know, make them human. Like the human part is part of it. They are a real, complex, authentic person. So yeah, you can really do that in underground films. And I'm interested in that. That is very cool. And I hope those listening will give those a listen. To wrap up this convo with you, I would love to get some recommendations from you for those listening of movies that you love, maybe that are underrated, some of your top faves that we haven't covered so far in this convo. First, I'm going to ask you if you've seen this film. Okay. I'm curious. Have you seen The Green Ray by Eric Romare? No. Eric Romare, he kind of came right after the the French New Wave, and he was just known for very dialogue-heavy films. He kind of makes films in the vein of Before Sunset, uh-huh. the, the Before Trilogy, basically, yeah. but French, and he did this before they did. But he just he just makes these quiet, very, very, very thoughtful films about lonely women, <laughs> to be honest. And The Green Ray is just about a woman who's... She's a French woman who goes on vacation alone and is lonely about it, but also hopeful that she will find somebody. And it's kind of just her little experience, and it's deeply, deeply relatable. I was and about to say that seems like a very relatable story for a lot of women. Yes, Just kind really of that is. experience of, like, I'm going on a trip and I need some sort of clarity or escapism. Yes, and there are, like, just these gorgeous shots where she's just... There are so many people on this beach... And she is among them, but she still looks so alone somehow. So it like captures just the feeling of feeling lonely when there are so many people around you, though. Mm -hmm. You know, there are just so many scenes of her where she's just like sitting at a party, like around people. So you're technically not lonely, Mm -hmm. but you're still lonely. Yeah. (laughs) And it just it articulates this very inexplicable feeling in a way that I that has just has stuck with me since I watched this this film. It's. I cannot recommend it enough. Amazing. Okay, I'm going to watch this as well. Yay! Thank you for this recommendation. I, I love getting a new nugget of context on a movie like this. I'm excited to give it a watch. Yay, and, and all of his films, truly, I can recommend. They're all just very wonderful, thoughtful films. <laughs> well, to close us out here, if you have any projects to plug, pro- probably all your letterbox stuff <laughs> for anyone who wants to get in contact with you. Yes, yes. So that is that is mostly what I'm up to, um, just being West Coast editor of Letterboxd. So again, if you'd like, we have a podcast called The Letterboxd Show, and we're we're still kind of updating the format. So it's a little bit in flux, but it will it is there. We're going to be talking movies on there. It's so much fun. So there's that. And then also, I don't know if people know about this, Letterboxd has a whole editorial section called Journal. Um, and that's the thing that I'm editing all the time. So we have really great articles and interviews with filmmakers. Like I got to talk to the team behind Poor Things, the production designers of Poor Things, and Yorgos and Emma. Yeah, so I, I just don't, I, I feel like people don't realize that we have this wonderful editorial content, especially, you know, journalism is very scary right now. There, It's, it's in a very precarious spot. So if you value um, good film journalism, head on over to Letterboxd Journal. We've got you covered. Hell yes. Well, thank you again for being on the show. I had so much fun talking to you. Thank you for having me. I love talking about movies so much, especially with my fellow movie girls, Mm -hmm. by the way. We're out there. We exist. Keep it up. And we like 
fun with Dick and Jane. Yes, and we like fun with Dick and Jane. <laughs> All right, it's time to get lost. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us five stars on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow our Instagram at It's Intermission Time and share with your friends. As always, Intermission is produced by Duzeel Chu and Olivia Deaton, directed by Kaden LaRocchi, and of course, hosted by yours truly, Megan Braun. Be sure to say your prayers and visit the synagogue on all platforms. Oh,